Good morning. You guys sound great. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to continue on in our series entitled, Now That's Church. What we've been doing is we've been studying through Acts chapter 2 and seeing the, the first iteration of church, and it was really just a natural overflowing. After the day of Pentecost, they were transformed by the gospel, and after they were transformed by the gospel, they uh, entered into the body of Christ, the church. And that's kind of where we started off this series, is that the, the church is filled up of believers because uh, after you enter into a relationship with Christ, you are automatically put into the church, the body of Christ. You don't really have a choice. The choice this just then becomes, how active are you going to be? And the church made up of believers is mutually devoted to the same things. What are those things? Well, we looked at this one. The, the first thing is they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, doctrine first. Proper understanding of Christ, proper understanding of the, the elements, the doctrines of our faith. Well, then out of that, uh, that, that doctrine then forms a fellowship. And this is the second thing we see in Acts 2, 42. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now, when I say that word fellowship, if you grew up in church, you have all of these images coming through your mind right now. You have the images of potlucks and the fellowship hall in the, in the basement with old carpet and lots of spills on it and everything else that came with the word fellowship. We actually banned the word fellowship. We told Jamie, you're not allowed to use this in emails anymore. Okay, And we were, were kind of joking, but what we were uh, getting at is there's all of these preconceived ideas or this word is thrown around. And the word fellowship, people don't really use the word fellowship other than pretty much church and Lord of the Rings. Like those are the only two contexts that the word fellowship is used. Well, today we want to reinstate its meaning. What did this mean at the beginning? What, why were they devoted to it? And a few weeks ago, I, I talked about devotion, and devotion was to be consistently, persistently, ardently focused to a particular end. And they were devoted to fellowship. Why? Where did it come from, and what is it? And so that's what I want to answer this morning. Well, let's start with the, the first one. Where does true fellowship come from? I'm going to hop over to 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. We, we see a, a verse here that kind of so beautifully summarizes uh, the idea of, uh, of Christian fellowship. 1 John 1, 3. That, wit, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have what? fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What does he say? The first way you enter into the fellowship is by hearing all that they had seen and heard, which was what? The gospel, uh, the, the apostles' teaching. And so doctrine first, we rally around this shared belief in, in core doctrine. Uh, and so that drives us into this Christian fellowship. And then he shares with us at the end uh, that it is a fellowship that is centered around Christ. And so where does Christian fellowship fellowship come from? It comes from a mutual love and affection for Jesus, right? And then proper or true doctrine. And, and so from that then forms this, uh, this Christian fellowship, this type of relationship that is unlike any other type of relationship, this community that is unlike any other type of community, Christian community centered through the gospel, uh, built on proper understanding and proper truth, proper doctrine. 
Christian fellowship. Now, that's where it comes from, but what is it? In these passages in Acts 2, 42 through 47, uh, they're famous. Uh, they're famous in Christian uh, circles and non-Christian circles alike for the beauty of the relationship or the community that they formed. And there is something beautiful about what we see in there. Now, we don't see the church operating in this level of like perfection uh, all throughout the New Testament. That's why Paul wrote a lot of the letters that he wrote uh, later to try to help us understand like how do we... Um, how do we organize the, the, the church relationship or the church structure? But early on, we see a beauty uh, of like, a, like an unfiltered relationship within the church before all the other pressures and worries and all these other things in life uh, built onto it. This original 3,000 and what they experienced. And so what was it? What, what is it that they were devoted to? I want to give you four things this morning. The first thing they were devoted to in fellowship, or what fellowship is, was loving one another. Secondly, to partnering together in ministry. Thirdly, to meeting each other's practical needs. And uh, fourthly, to just experiencing the joy of friendship the joy of Christian friendship. And so I want to walk through all four of those this morning. Uh, the first one, that they were committed to loving one another. And by the way, what I'm saying then is that when we see the word fellowship, what we should see is all four of these different circles. And some of us, we're really good at some of them, right? I'm great at loving uh, one another. I'm great. Some of us, we're really good at participating in ministry or partnering in ministry together, but not necessarily in loving one another or meeting each other's needs or whatever it might be. And it is all four of these things that kind of make up this word fellowship. So the first one, they were committed to loving one another. In uh, John chapter 13, Jesus says these words. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See the incredible promise at the end of this. One of the fruits of our relationship with Christ, uh, one of the evidences of our relationship with Christ is the love that we show to one another. Now, as a church, it is always good for us to teach on things uh, that we need to improve upon. It's also important for us to uh, teach on things uh, that God has already begun to do or has done consistently in our church. I can say this at the beginning of our time uh, this morning, that one of my favorite things about this church is the fellowship that we experience one with another. The way I have seen this church be formed into a family, the way that you guys comment to me, my dad and I joke sometimes, we'll be getting ready to leave after the uh, 1030 service. And there'll, just, there'll be like, you know, 30 of y'all still in here talking. I'm like, I need to go eat lunch, okay? Have fun, which is fine. Have fun, keep talking. And there is a beauty to that, but now we can learn uh, and maybe kind of uh, fill it out a little bit more. And this first part is loving each other as Christ loved us. That's the measure what an impossible standard to achieve first, but something certainly to strive for. He said to love one another as Christ loved us. Well, how did Christ love us? The first thing that Christ did is he loved us in, his imp uh, in our imperfections. Romans 5 says he loved us while we were still sinners, that in the midst of all of our imperfection, uh, that Christ still loved us. And so the first element of loving one another is loving each other in the, in the presence of fault, of imperfection, of uh, failure, of sin, uh, of tension, all of these different things, that we would love each other in that state, that it doesn't uh, require perfection around here in order to be loved. Love is patient, it is kind, it is patient, and it is kind uh, even in the midst 
of imperfection. So that's the first side of what it means to love one another, to, uh, to create a, a grace-centered environment where love covers over a multitude of offenses, where uh, we show and shower grace onto each other. And even in the midst of our lowest moments or our biggest mistakes, we still love each other. We're still patient and kind and all of those other things. The only way to really do this is to um, be so uh, changed by God's grace, what he has done for you, that as Christ loved you in the midst of your imperfection, that becomes the platform in which you love other people. If you love others based on their actions alone and their perfection alone, we will never be able to accomplish this. But as I receive love and grace from Christ, and as I treat others, each of us in, this, uh, in our church family, as I treat you not, as, uh, not to the standard of what you've done, but to the standard of how Christ has loved me, then this is possible. Loving one another. So Christ loved us in the midst of our imperfections. And again, this, only gets, this one only gets to be tested when there is imperfection, when there is sin or fault or, or whatever, and then how we respond in those moments. The, the second part of it is that Christ loved us sacrificially. How sacrificially? He gave up the splendor of heaven to come down to earth. He uh, made himself a servant while he was on earth. And then, of course, he gave his life up on the cross as a picture of sacrificial love. And so Christ loved us sacrificially. So how then do we love each other? Sacrificially. Laying down our own lives, surrendering our own rights, putting down our own preferences to serve one another, to sacrificially lay down ourselves for the other. That's how Christ loved us. This is the baseline then of Christian fellowship. It starts with this loving one another in our imperfections and sacrificially. And this is just the beginning then of the Christian community. And in a world that is so isolated, in a world that is its own way, that wants to do uh, a life it's, uh, you know, through its own lens or wants to isolate in a world where we're so focused on the screen, whether it's big or little in front of us, Christian community, uh, it, 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 I think maybe more than any time, uh, at least in my life, we look and say the difference that we can have here. Christian community, it, a Christian fellowship, it compels us to come out of our own isolated state. The picture of the isolated Christian doesn't exist in the New Testament. We're compelled out of it by the gospel, joined together then in mutual love for Christ in this proper doctrine, to love one another sacrificially and in the midst of imperfections. So that's where it starts. But it doesn't stop there. And sometimes what you'll do is uh, you'll hear different elements of each of these uh, in certain circles. And, uh, and it's probably for reasons why, like, certain elements have elevated over other elements in certain environments, right? But this is just a part of it. It starts here, loving one another, but it's all of these things. And so the next one is this. It's partnering together in ministry, partnering together in ministry. Uh, and this one's important too. And we'll see other, there are other verses in the scripture that allude to this one uh, more prominently. One of them is in Philippians. Let me turn there real quick. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians 1.5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It says, we're partners. Now, I actually have a lot to say about the idea of partnership so much, in fact, uh, that in the fall, we're going to release a, like a discipleship track um, called the partnership track. 
And what we're going to do is talk about how all of us can come together in this particular element of fellowship and how we can partner together for the sake of the gospel. And it's a, like a six-week course. And what it does, it takes a lot of the stuff that we have looked at and studied over the last two years, five years, puts it together in a nice way uh, so that we can, some of you who are new, we can say, hey, come and uh, um, catch up. Let me tell you where we've been. Let's all get on the same page. But then also for all of us, I'm encouraging everyone to go through this, um, all of us, that we can be more equipped and more focused on how do we partner together How do we partner together? How do we work alongside each other? Like Paul says in here, your partnership in the gospel. This is uh, another thing that ties Christian fellowship together so strongly, that you and I are about the most uh, important work that, that could ever be. Earlier in this series, I said one of the things the church is, is a group of people motivated to a common purpose. What is that common purpose? The expansion of the gospel. Much of the New Testament after Acts lays out uh, how uh, the Holy Spirit uh, empowers the church, uh, right? As Christ leads his church, the power of his Holy Spirit to, to partner together in these ways through different giftings and, uh, and different offices and, uh, and a structure for the church. And it kind of lays it all out. But in the end, look, we're partners, you and I. We are partners together for the gospel. We're partners to bring the gospel to the world. We say it right here, the the gospel is the hope of the world and the church is the strategy for redemption. And so you and I now have a role to play in partnering together for the gospel. And there's something unique about gospel partnership that we know it's not about any one of us. It's, It's not about anybody building their own platform. It's not about us always having our own way. It's about us surrendering uh, all of that to Christ and then saying, use us, uh, but use us as a body, not as individuals. Use us as a body to advance your gospel, to bring the gospel to the world, to, uh, to see people come to salvation, uh, and to see people grow up in the faith or have deep roots. And there are very practical ways that we partner together in the gospel, and we see them uh, here in Acts, and we see them all throughout the New Testament. We partner in the gospel by serving with purpose, uh, finding a place where we can use our gifts, or even if we're not using our gifts, we're just like kind of filling a role for the time being because we're partnering together in the gospel. And we partner in the gospel, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, at the beginning of every week, just set aside a little bit of money uh, and then bring that with you and, and and then give it to the body and then you guys are partnering together in the gospel. Uh, And so financial partnership of coming around each other and saying, hey, I've got this amount and I can bring it in and we're going to co-partner together. We partner by sharing our faith or inviting people into the family. We partner by praying together. We uh, partner by encouraging one another. And uh, we partner by showing up and just being a part of the community. And it's all partnering together for a purpose. And that is the advancement of the gospel and the glory of God. And uh, I think at times in, uh, in different elements of the church, we have made partnership in the gospel like the primary tool of fellowship. And it's not just about partnering together. We're not cogs in a wheel, uh, but that is a part of it. And so when we love each other, and that's the first step, and then what do we do? We say, okay, I love you. I love you in the midst of imperfection. I love you sacrificially. Now I want to partner with you together. 
I want to partner with you together in the advancement of this beautiful gospel. And there's something incredible about that partnership when it starts to work together, how uh, when we start to partner with people, we feel a natural affinity to them. And we get tied and connected when we know we're on the same page, when we're operating in one spirit. It like brings us together. I'll use our elder team as an example. So we have uh, three elders, myself, Tom, and Frank, and um, the, the three of us and, then, and our wives. When we started this uh, six years ago, uh, we were like a little better than acquaintances, quite frankly, uh, you know, and then especially like the three of us connected and combined, there wasn't like a built-in fellowship there. And over time, as we have partnered more and more in the gospel together, as all three families have um, sacrificed financially and, uh, and given up of time and, and prayed for this, uh, this ministry and worked alongside each other in the early years that were not nearly from many perspectives as fun as what we get to do now, as we partnered together, it's interesting how as we partnered more and more, we loved each other more and more. We would begin to meet each other's needs more and more. I know there are um, very few people in my life that if, if I was going through something that I can't pick up the phone quicker than Frank or Tom and say, hey, uh, I, I, maybe it's not a financial need, but I've got an emotional, I've got a practical, I've got something right now. Why? Because we're partners in the gospel. And it began to form the other ones. And also, the fourth one I'm going to get to is Joy. And Tom, Frank, and I, we meet every month, and I don't know if you've ever been on like a board, right, or, you know, you've been like on a board meeting or something like that, and technically this is like the board of the church, and maybe you have a picture of what a board meeting is, okay? Well, for Tom and Frank and I, it's just getting together with two friends who love each other and get this incredible role of serving you guys in the church. We look forward to it every month, and, and for five, four, whatever years now, um, I walk away from that meeting, and then when I get home, Lindsay goes, how was it? And I say, it was great. What'd you talk about? A bunch of tense stuff. <laughs> and we loved each other all the way through. And when you begin to partner, and some of you, maybe why you feel maybe if you do slightly disconnected from the body is because in the unity of the spirit, yet you're not yet partnering. And I would just encourage you to begin. It will, it will um, accelerate your fellowship in every way that we've talked about in giving and serving and all of these things and see how it grows the rest of fellowship. So that's the second one. We partner together. Um, we love each other. We partner together. And then here's the third one, uh, meeting practical needs. Meeting practical needs. Now this one, I don't even have to go beyond Acts chapter 2 to see this happen very, uh, very much. Uh, Acts 2, 44 through 45. And all who believed, these words, again, powerful words, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Have you ever heard people say like, oh, the first church, they were a bunch of socialists, right? This was voluntary, not forced, okay? Not the same thing. And uh, what they were is a bunch of people committed to loving one another. They were so changed by the gospel so not in love with the things of the world anymore. So changed by the gospel and then entered into this new community, this new relationship, this new fellowship that they began to look at each other as brothers and sisters. I mean, which one of us, if we had a, a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister, a child, a grandparent, a grandchild uh, that was in need, wouldn't immediately do exactly what they did here? If you saw a family member who was in immediate need and you had surplus, you don't even think about it. Nobody looks at a parent and says, I can't believe you took care of your child's need. 
There, there's nothing incredibly like, uh, you know, clap on the back of, uh, of a brother looking at his brother, his blood brother, uh, in a moment of great need and saying, hey, I've got extra. I'm going to help you. No, that's almost expected. It's almost expected that, uh, that, that in my moment, right, in my family, in your immediate family, that I'm going to uh, take care of you if I have extra and you don't in a moment of great need. Well, what we're seeing in Acts here is that the church just had a family perspective amongst all of them. They just looked and they said, oh, that's my family. And there were 3,000 of them. There's not a chance in the world that they all knew each other. Not a chance. And sometimes people get this idealistic picture of Acts 3, right? Um, there are 3,000 of them. There's no way they all knew each other. There's no way they were all best friends hanging out at each other's houses. But they served each other. They served each other, and they loved each other, and they met each other's needs. And, and these verses have inspired people for, for centuries. Maybe you've heard me say this. You've heard me say, the church's primary financial responsibility is to take care of needs within the church family. I get this or that from here. You're not going to see that line in the scripture, but I get the basis for that understanding right here in the scriptures right? This idea that our first responsibility is that. And there's organic ways and systematic ways. There's, um, I'm going to use the word corporate, uh, there's, there's or, or like collective, like the church as a whole ways, and then there's individual ways to make sure that this happens. But it should be the desire and the heart of the church, I think every church, that there never be needs Needs. We always use the term legitimate needs because the word need here and the need word need back then, right? Maybe kind of a different cultural understanding that, that every need is met in our body. And so as a church, we, we've decided like, hey, we're going to do this from like a corporate level. Uh, again, the word corporate, I don't love that, but from like a collective level, like a, as an organization. And, um, uh, and so the way we do that around here is we have something we call our family fund. And what we do is we take 10% of everything that comes in as a church, and we like literally set it aside in a different bank account. And we've been doing that from the beginning. Now, let me tell a little story, because some of you, you walked in today and you saw coffee and you thought, shoot, Stephen has gone woke and he has lost his convictions, Okay. <laughs> It's not what's going on here. It's not what's going on here. There's a double entendre, actually, double meaning here to, um, to the coffee. First, uh, we're going to see in a little bit that when the Christians got together, they ate, okay? And so we're going to eat uh, and drink, right? And, uh, and so that's why the coffee today, it helps facilitate, you know, good, good conversation, that kind of stuff. All right, the second thing is that it's actually interesting. A long, long time ago, um, the, choice had a, the church had a, a decision to make, and it was this, fund the family fund or serve coffee on the weekend. And the budget was like the same almost to the dollar. And we looked at each other and we said, we would rather give food to the needy than coffee to the comfortable. Okay? And we made a decision. And we made a decision. And the church is in a much different place now. We could afford both, um, but we have just left it as a practice for us to remind us to remind us, our first responsibility is taking care of one another. It's taking care of one another. And I can tell you, for six years, um, you know, the elders and I, whenever we've been presented with a need, we sit down, we pray through it, we ask ourselves the question, does this fit in an alignment with what we consider godly and biblical and the right usage and honoring people's tithe and all of that kind of stuff? And then we say yes. 
And we've done that. And it's our hope and intention to constantly, consistently, and to forever do that as a church. And here's what's really exciting to me. As this church grows, we can do that more and more. And as this church continues to uh, expand and, uh, and, and, and as our giving increases, what that means is just we have more to take care of people's needs. How fun. And what a powerful example of the church that when there's something going on in your life, you know, I can call my church. They're going to help. They're going to step up. And we will. And this, this is uh, it's a powerful part of Christian community in a world that worships money for the church to say, we don't. And instead, we just use it as a way to facilitate fellowship. And I think it also changes our perspectives as individuals and as families, right? Uh, so like, you know, for Lindsay and I, we, we tithe here uh, to our church, right? 10% of our income, both that we make here and that we make outside of here, and we, we give it in. And, and what's fun about that is when we, when we tithe uh, to our church, uh, it's not just um, uh, so that we can do all of this. We know that we're working so that uh, we can look at each other and go, hey, in your moment of need, uh, this wealth or this income, this money, whatever came to me, and I set some of it aside for you. What a perspective, friend. Why do you, it actually can change the way you go to work for uh, one of the reasons why you go to work. So maybe you don't like your job and you're like, this is bad. But on Tuesday, you remember in the midst of it, like in part why I'm here is because there's going to come a moment where somebody in this church is going to have a need and you worked hard and you were faithful and you gave. And in the moment of need, you got to tell them, I loved you in advance and I set it aside. It changes the way we look at everything. Like, I think it changes the way like we get a bonus or we make a ton of money or whatever it might be. And it's go, okay, now, now, now there's even more for me to contribute to meeting the needs. How fun. And what a different way the world than the world that as Christians we say, yeah, so here's what's cool. The more I make or the more I grow in, in this, the more God blesses with me, uh, it just means the more I get to set aside for my family to make sure that every time there's a need, it's met. We got to see this a little bit in action a couple, um, a couple months ago. There was a family in the church that had a fire. And we, we got to a point because you guys responded in, so incredibly. Um, and this was even outside of our family fund, which we take care of most of these things inside of our, our family fund. Um, but we got to a point where it was like, okay, enough. Stop giving. Like, you guys are awesome. And, they, and you gave so much that we, we had to say stop. And I was like, that is beautiful. And I think what was most beautiful is some of the people who contributed the most in that moment didn't even know personally the family. Like in the first church, there's no way that 3,000 of them knew each other. Right. And they, they didn't know each other, but they said, well, I know they're part of this family. And if they're part of this family, then they're part of my family. And so, I mean, I remember one person, they were on vacation, and they called me, they're like, I heard, I never met this family, I have no idea how they are, um, I'm sending a check. That's the beauty of Christian fellowship. That we, that we would begin to look at our own, our own stuff like that. And, and it's not out of obligation. It's not because we're trying to trick God into blessing us more. It's because that's my family. How would I not give to my family? And, so, and there's even just systematic ways to do this, right? Do our consistent giving and all of that kind of stuff. And then we as a church, we've tried to always operate as efficiently and as frugally and all of these things as we can so that we can do our part in it. And so that's the third part. 
They met each other's needs, right? They loved each other. Uh, uh, they partnered together in ministry. And like, it's not hard when you see this to start seeing why the, the, the movement spreads so quickly. When you got this group of people that are that fiercely committed to each other by the bond that they share in their love for Christ, by the way they're sacrificially uh, and, and, and loving each other in the midst of imperfection, partnering together, you're good at this, I'm good at that. I'll meet your need in your moment. I'll set aside this because we're doing this thing together. And then the fourth thing we see is uh, right here in the very next verse. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread, there was always food involved. Amen? Like if you, if you got a life group right now and you're like, there's no food involved, you might not be doing it right. Okay? <laughs> Y'all need to start eating. Day by day. They met Every day. Every day. Why? Because they enjoyed it. It was the joy of Christian friendship. Day by day, attending the temple together, large service, and breaking bread in their homes, smaller groups, they received their food, always should be food, with glad and generous hearts. They were happy. This is awesome. So much joy that they derived from knowing each other or or, or from the, the, um, the large group becoming a smaller group. And so the smaller group, they just hung out in each other's homes. They want you to come over. Why don't you come over? I'll cook this week or, or tonight, and, and we'll hang out, and we'll just we'll hang out. And we'll talk about what Jesus is doing in our life, and, uh, and maybe we'll look at some of uh, they, they probably didn't have, uh, you know, they didn't have Bibles, right? So somebody was like, hey, remember that one story in Genesis? Or I don't even know if they called it Genesis back then, right? Remember that, and then let's talk about it and, uh, and all of that. And they said, let's just get together, and let's have fun. Like, we talk about life groups here, right? Because the, how does this stuff happen? There's a top down and a bottom up, and it's best when it's both. Top down, right? As a church, we can facilitate life groups. And, and if you want to lead a life group, we would love for you to step up and to begin a, to lead a life group. And so, and you can facilitate it from top down, okay? And so that's important, and we do our best bet with that. And that's why we do events, and that's why we do all the things that we do. But it's also best bottom up. When you guys, right, I, don't, I mean, we don't read this, so maybe it was happening. I don't know, maybe Peter was there, and he's like, okay, you ate, you go to that house. You ate, you go to that house. Maybe that's what was happening. But it seems, it reads, right, like they were just doing this out of their natural overflow. Oh, I, I love these people. Hey, how about some of us, let's, let's get together and go hang out. It wasn't, all, it wasn't all top down. And friends, I will say this. I think some of us are so churched so churched, right, that we get into it, it has to be a top-down thing. It has to be a top-down thing. And we become like almost dependent upon the church to facilitate our friendships. And, and I'm not trying to be indicting here, I just think this is, this is kind of just what's developed. And I would encourage us, we're going to keep doing the top-down stuff, but let's, let's, let's see the bottom-up stuff too. And we just started getting together. We just started getting together. I didn't even know you guys were getting together. That's great that you're getting together, okay? And then, you know, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, we started getting together and this person's a heretic. Okay, now we got a problem. We'll talk through it, okay? But for the most part, let's, let's see both, right? In the big and the small, that, that, that this kind of stuff is coming. And, and Christian fellowship is so powerful in this way. Um, day by day, it says, it reminds me of a time in my life in my mid-20s, um, I've shared this. I did a, a sermon series, a first sermon series in this church, um, Does God Want Us to Be Happy? And, and I talked about my early 20s um, where I'd, I was working, working, working. I was doing ministry. I was coaching. I started a business, all of this kind of stuff. And I was filling my time with all of this. But I was really depressed underneath. And it, what, what drove me out of that, let me tell you what it was. It wasn't, I'll spend more time with the Lord. Now, hear me out. 
It wasn't that. And it wasn't work more. It wasn't be about the kingdom of God more, partner more. It wasn't that. Yeah. You know what it was? It was, it wasn't pursue the things of the world either. It was Christian friendship. That's what actually drove me out of my depression. And I, I had a group of friends that, um, that started, uh, and, and, and I kid you not, for two years, probably I was single back then. I didn't have any kids. Some people were married. Some people weren't. Some had kids. Some didn't. There was about a group of people, and we hung out probably 90% of nights every day for two years. And you know what we did? We ate chips and salsa, because that's all I ate back then. And we played Settlers of Catan just about every night. And I won about every one of those games. Okay? Amen? Amen. Okay. And that's what we did. That's what we did. And it, 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 the, the joy of Christian fellowship drove me out of my depression. How powerful is that? Some of us, we're, we're in a spot maybe where you were that and depressed or, or there's something else going on in your life and you're looking for all of these solutions. And let me tell you what one of those solutions ought to be. The joy of Christian friendship. Because you get it deep enough into your life. How do you get through your 20s? I mean, this was me, right? I didn't get married until 30. How do you get through your 20s? Well, when you're single. Or your 30s, or your 40s, or your 50s. Single or married, but particularly when you're single. How? The joy of Christian friendship. The joy of it. So whether you're playing Frisbee, uh, which is horrible, but some people like it. I don't know. Um, or, or you're playing a real sport, or you're... you're um, or you're playing Catan or Azul or any other game, you're eating, you're whatever, that is fun. That's fun. Hey, we've been working out on Thursday morning. So dudes, 6.15, Thursday morning, come and hang out with us. We're just working out. Here, we're done in like 30 minutes so, so everyone can get to work. Come and hang out with us. And we're just having fun. And, and, and this is, uh, it, it's a beautiful part of it. And it's all four of these that are true Christian fellowship. It's not just a bunch of people having fun. It's not just a bunch of people working together. It's not just a bunch of people meeting each other's needs. And it's not just a bunch of people who love each other, but it doesn't go anywhere. It's all of them. Man, I love you. Even though you're imperfect, I'm going to love you sacrificially. Now we're going to partner together and by the power of the Holy Spirit is going to unify us into one so that we can take the gospel to the world. And we're going to set aside from our hard-earned money one to another to serve each other in your moment of need. And then we're going to have fun along the way. And that's church. That's church. And that's what it's supposed to be. And that's what it was at at the beginning. And that's why it was the most powerful thing and is the most powerful thing that the world has ever seen. And guys, God has already created a lot of that here. Uh, and it's so beautiful to watch. It really is. It's so beautiful to watch. And, um, uh, and I've seen how God has formed it. And of course, we can always get better at these things. We can always get better at these things, but we can always, always stop and thank God for what he's already done and what he's already created, right? And the stories you guys share of how you love each other to me is awesome. The partnership I think we experience here is awesome. And I know some of us, maybe we're, we feel a little bit on the outside because we're new or we're this or we're that. And well, let's just keep working. Let's keep working at it because we have a beautiful picture of what it can be. We're going to practice, literally, right now. If you're an introvert, you hate me. <laughs> I've joked about this before. You're allowed to repent of your personality too, okay? 
I'm not calling introvert. Uh, never mind. Okay. All I'm saying is this is going to be good practice for us. Here's what we're going to do. This is the most churchy thing I've ever said in my life. We are going to have seven minutes of fellowship, okay, before you leave today. And um, what's going to happen is once the timer begins, don't start it yet because I want all seven minutes here, um, I'm going to encourage you to stand up and to go make some friends. And if you came with a bunch of people, they're already your friends. They don't count. Okay? You need to go make new friends today. And if you're like, I don't know what to talk about for seven minutes, one thing you could do is share your redemption story. How'd you end up here? What, what has God been doing in your life since you got here? That'd be fun. You could start arguing about politics. I'm sure that'll go well. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> Next week, we're talking about disfellowship. Okay, just kidding. Um, make some friends. Remember Fazoli's? They had those beautiful breadstick fairies. We have donut fairies. And so they'll be walking around with donut holes, okay? Because you should always have food over fellowship. And, um, and then two other things real quick. Um, first, I've got five $50 Kroger gift cards. If you came in this morning and you've got a little bit of financial need, you're kind of stressed, let us help you, okay? Let us help you. Just come up and grab one. I would love to give them. No one took them in the first service, so, you know, somebody could walk out of here with 250 bucks if, they just, if they're in need, okay? That's cool. That's fine. Um, the other thing I have is this, okay? I've got two gift cards to Briarfield Cafe for 75 bucks a piece and two gift cards to um, Dale's for 75 bucks a piece. And so if you make new friends today and you guys want to go out to eat afterwards, we'll pay for it. So you just come up here and tell me, okay, and we'll give them to you because that's how important this is. That's how important this is, okay? And listen, the nine o'clock, all right, lame. So as always, you know, Beat the nine o'clock service. Somebody come take this money, okay? All right. I guess that means we started. Okay, go, make a friend. Stand Thank up. you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash giveonline. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.